0: morning. Morning. (laughs) We're going to look at Psalm 25 this morning as we continue to go through a few psalms in the next month or so. And uh, I have no illusions that anybody even remembers, but I actually preached through this psalm back at Christmas. So it was very recent. And uh, for whatever reason, God led me back to this psalm again today. So I guess he wants us to think more about it and to soak it in and to learn something. Um, this psalm is written by David, and it is in the form of an acrostic poem, if you know what that is. It's basically, every line starts with a, another letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it goes through the alphabet. Um, this is, it's an imperfect acrostic poem because it skips a couple letters, and one letter it repeats twice. But generally, it's, it's an acrostic poem, and, and in addition to being a poetic device, it's also um, a didactic device. It's a, it's a way to teach, right? Um, and so God wants us to learn something from this psalm. What does he want us to learn? Listen to God's word from Psalm 25 as I read. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity... And uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. Father, we pray that uh, as we think about these words, that you would take your truth and that you would pour it into our hearts and that we would absorb it. And that it would have an impact on how we think, on how we feel, on how we look at life. Father, we pray that your spirit would be working mightily right now to speak to us and to change us. More than anything else, to show us Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I saw an advertisement for a bath mat a few days ago, or in the last few days. And um, it's taking all of my willpower not to buy this thing. It is, it is magical. And I say that to you because I, I, we, we give three little boys baths on a regular basis in our house. And, and it seems like after every night of bath time, the entire bathroom is underwater. I mean, no matter how much we try to encourage them to try to dry themselves off a little, you know, as much as they can before they get out of the bathtub, the bath mat we have is soaked. There is water all around the bath mat, on the floor in the bathroom. There is water out in the hallway. There is water in their bedroom. There is even water going down the stairs. I don't know how that's possible. There is water everywhere. But I saw this commercial for this bath mat, and it's, you know, like really thick shag bath mat, and they take a pitcher of water. Maybe you've seen this and they pour it onto the bath mat, and the water just disappears. The bath mat just like, just sucks it all up, completely absorbs it, and retains all of it. There's no more water, and then after that, they take another pitcher and pour it into the bath mat, and it disappears as well, it's amazing. Seriously, it's like a magic trick. I'm like, I have to get one of these things. I have to get one of these things. So stay tuned, I'll let you know next week. But can you picture that? Can you picture that, you know, that thick shag bath mat just sucking in all of, the, all of the water that's poured onto it? If you can picture that, then you can get a sense of the attitude, I think, that, Paul, that David wrote Psalm 25 with. Okay? Over and over again, David is asking God to pour into him, to teach him, to make, him, to make God known to him, Right? Look at verse 6. I'm sorry, look at verses 4 and 5. It says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Verses 8 and 9. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. His mind is preoccupied with instruction, with with teaching. Verse 9, he says, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Verse 12, he says... Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. David is showing us that the attitude that one should have, if you have a relationship with God, is an attitude of, of sincere teachability. An attitude that longs for God to just pour into us. A lo- uh, an attitude that is just ready and waiting to absorb any of what God is willing to reveal about himself and give about himself. It's a picture of that miracle bath mat, you know, that just sucks in every bit of moisture it possibly can. And if you're picturing that bath mat, I'm, I'm not talking about a mind that is ready to just be filled with as much knowledge as it can. I'm talking about a heart that wants to soak in as much truth about who God is, that wants to absorb it and let it become part of us, changing us, strengthening us, See, the thing is, I think for a lot of us, um, whether you've gone to church many years or not, there are things that we, that we think we know about God. There's facts that we know about God, but we haven't really let it seep into the depths of who we are. We haven't really absorbed it. We haven't really soaked it in as much as we could. And what I want to do this morning is just look at three of those things, three of those facts about God and, and hopefully help us to soak it in, to see how Psalm 25 encourages us to soak those things in, okay? So one of those things is God's forgiveness, okay? Most of us know, would say that God is forgiving. He's a forgiving God. But what does this psalm encourage us to soak in about God's forgiveness? Look at verse 6. He says, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old, God's mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, it's not something that he has just learned to do <laughs> in recent times. It's something that is part of who he has always been. They are from of old. God didn't make everything and then everyone, you know, and then and people sinned and then suddenly he had to pivot and start learning how to forgive. Forgiveness is of old, of who God is, of his nature. If you continue reading on in verse Verse 7, he says, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. He says, David David begs God to forgive him, to remember not his transgressions for the sake of his goodness, for the sake of, of, of his character, of who he is. Again, he talks about, in verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt. The case that David makes to God about you know, why he should pardon his guilt is because it's, it's, it's for God's name's sake. It's, it's, it's because that's who God is at the core of his being. God loves to forgive, He delights in showing mercy and grace and pardoning sin. He doesn't get tired of forgiving. He doesn't have to force himself to forgive. His forgiveness is of old. He forgives because that is part of who he is. It's at the core of of his name, of what represents all of who he is. Grace and mercy and forgiveness, that's at the core of who God is. And this is hard for me to understand because I often have this picture of God as constantly being a little frustrated with me. After I continue to deal with the same issues over and over again, no matter how much I try to change myself, I think of God being like, okay, but this is the last time. I'll forgive you, but just try to, you know, do better. I I have this picture of God kind of losing patience with me. And yet, I think these verses point us to the fact that, that, Mercy, grace, forgiveness is at the heart of who God is. That's part of what makes him God. He loves to forgive. He delights in forgiving. And I'm not saying that our sin isn't serious, okay? I'm not saying that our sin doesn't grieve him, that it doesn't offend him. Certainly it does. But even in the face of our sin and the grievousness of it, God loves to forgive. That's part of who he is. Something else we're encouraged to soak up about the forgiveness of God is how big his forgiveness is, how sufficient it is. Verse 11, he's, David says, pardon my sin, for it is great. Pardon my sin, for it is great. David has this sense of the fact that his, his sin is huge. It's massive. I'm not sure what particular sin he is thinking of right now, As you look at the life of David, you can maybe pick a few different ones. Because David sinned in major ways, right? He might not even be talking about one of those things that we even know about. But David is aware that his sin is serious and it is big. But even though he knows that it is great, he knows enough to ask God to forgive him because he knows that God's forgiveness, his mercy, is greater. It's bigger. It's enough to wash him and cleanse him completely no matter how big his sin is, no matter how many his sins are. It's like that song that we sing. I love that song we sing. His mercy is more, right? Just listen to a few words from, the, from, from that, uh, that song. One of the verse says this, what riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. Because of Christ dying for us, God's mercy is sufficient to cover our sin." We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. No matter how awful you might feel like your sin is, no matter how much you might regret something that you've done in your past, it is not big enough to separate you from the love of God and the forgiveness of God. His forgiveness is huge, it is big, it is sufficient. Soak it in. Soak it in. The second thing we're soaking in is God's faithfulness. A number of times David's, David talks about, the sh- about shame in this psalm. He asks that he not be put to shame. And then in verse 3 he says confidently, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. And I think he's, he's referencing a lot, of, a lot of people in those days would, would trust in these pagan gods to rescue them, to take care of them, to provide for them, to protect them in all sorts of different ways. And often they would be disappointed. The pagan gods would not come through for them. And it would put them to shame. And David is affirming the fact that, that anybody who trusts in God, who waits on him, who, who, who counts on him, will not be disappointed. We will not be put to shame. He is faithful to make good on everything that he has promised his people. We will never be put to shame if we trust him, if we, if, we, if we count on him to care for us, to meet our needs, to provide all that he promises. But I want to pull your attention to verse 10. If you have it in front of you, look at verse 10. It says this, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. In other words, for those who have entered into relationship with God through his covenant that he has made with us. Because that's when, when the Bible talks about a covenant that God makes with his people, it's, it's talking about the fact that God has, has taken the initiative to enter into a relationship with his people. And, and he's, he's made a promise. He said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. No matter how much that costs me, I'm going to be committed to loving you For those who know that covenant, for those who have received that promise from God, he makes this promise. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. No matter what path you walk down in life, no matter what choice you make, God is going to faithfully meet you. God is going to faithfully walk with you on that path. Even if it's the wrong choice at times. God is going to meet you. One of our our kids' favorite books to read these days is a book, uh, is one of those Choose Your Own Ending books. Back when I was a kid, I used to love choosing our own, our own, your own ending books. They'd be like these fantasy books. And, uh, you know, you never really knew what the right or wrong decision was. But it could end up, you know, you could end up in jail or dead or something like that if you made the wrong choice. But, but this book is more kind of a, a teaching tool to help kids make good choices. You know, so it, it follows along this little kid named Danny. And it talks about how he has the power to choose to make good choices. And so it follows him along on, on this vacation that he takes with his family, you know. So he'll be riding in the back seat of his car with his little brother, and, and his little brother will be bothering him and be like, and, and he'll be playing a game, and his little brother will be like, oh, can I, can, will you share with me? Can I play that game too? Can I play that game too? And then the choice at the bottom of the page will be like, should Danny share his toy with his brother? Or should he just yell at his brother and say, I'm playing with it? And so the, the choice is obvious, right? But the kids, you know, if, if, you, if you make the right choice, everything goes great. And the vacation just gets better and better and better. If you make the wrong choice, then there's all sorts of horrible cons- consequences, you know, and the vacation is ruined eventually. But this is the thing. No matter what choice we make in life, some of us, we, we, we make good choices. Some of us, we make bad choices. We, there's all sorts of different paths we, have to, we walk down in life. And, and this is promising us that no matter what path we find ourselves on, whether it's due to our poor decisions, or or due to other things being flung upon us, God's faithfulness will meet us. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. He will meet you to love you, to comfort you, to protect you, to work in you. He will meet you. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. And if we will soak this in, then it will develop an attitude that that is reflected in verse 15, where he says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. Every moment in life, we will always be looking for, for what God is doing. For how God is providing. For how God wants to meet me in that situation and love me my eyes are ever toward the Lord. If I'm convinced that he is absolutely faithful, that no matter what is going on in my life, and and, and this isn't to say that when I say that every path of the Lord is is steadfast love and faithfulness, that doesn't mean that every path is perfect, right? It doesn't mean that every path is painless. It means that that, that no matter what path we find ourselves on, God is going to be there. So we will learn to look for him, to look to him, trust in him always watching for how he's faithfully working or how he will faithfully faithfully provide or faithfully protect or faithfully rescue or faithfully comfort we and we we, and, and it'll develop in us a life of that is filled with prayer exhibited in verse 16 to 20 so that's what david where david ends up right he's just praying over and over again turn to me and be gracious to me Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble. Forgive all my sins. Consider how how many are my foes. Guard my soul and deliver me. David is praying fervently. When we know that all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness, we will be constantly asking him, praying to him to deliver us, to protect us, to help us, to comfort us. Soak it in soak it in in the faithfulness of God and the forgiveness of God lastly the psalm reminds us to soak in the fact of something really simple it's just God's friendship to soak in God's friendship look at verse 14 and soak it in it says this the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The friendship of the one who is eternal, the one who stands above all other things, the one who's created all things, the one who sustains all things, the one for whom we've all been made. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. What does it mean to fear him? Well, first of all, I don't think it's talking about, you know, when the Bible talks about fearing the Lord, it's not talking about like walking on eggshells around him. It's not talking about like living in constant like fear of what God's going to do to me. It's talking about having a a deep reverence, respect for God. But but more than that, it's talking about a longing to, to, because God is ultimate, to have him be the one that is shaping my life and speaking into my life. It's it's the attitude that David is writing this psalm with, an attitude that says, God, I want to soak in as much of you that I can. That is what it means to to to, to fear the Lord. And he says, if if you are, are, are taking that posture towards God, then the friendship of the Lord is there for you. And this is incredible news. What does it mean to be a friend of God? What does it mean to be a friend? What is friendship? What does it mean to be someone's friend? A friend is a person who is there for you, right? A friend is a person who cares about you. A friend is a person who cares about what you care about. A friend is a person who rejoices with you when you you rejoice, who weeps with you when you weep. A friend is a person who accepts you, who knows you and loves you, even when what they know about you isn't all that great. Don't miss this. This is actually a theme throughout the Bible, that God over and over again, is offering us his friendship. We have this promise here. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. But then as you look into the New Testament, as as Jesus comes to reveal God perfectly to us, God made man, Jesus Christ. What did he say to those who are closest to him, those who followed him, those who trusted him? His disciples, what did he call them? He says, I call you my friends, didn't he? I call you my friends. And he poured out his heart to them. What was Jesus accused of as much as anything else by the people who were trying to slander him? Ah, oh, he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. <laughs> that line used to slander Jesus is actually the, the most amazing news possible, isn't it? That Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. There's this book that came out last year. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's written by a guy named Dane Ortland. And uh, it's, it's a book that is, is intended to help you soak in the person of Jesus and his love and, and his heart, really. And incredibly, the, the, the publisher believes that this book has been so helpful for pe- so many people. They have been giving it out for free to, to churches. And that's why, if you notice, we have a stack of them by the info table. I want to encourage you, um, one per household, please take it. It's free. I encourage you to read it. But there's a chapter in here that talks about the friendship of Jesus. What does it mean that Jesus is a friend of sinners? And I just want to read a couple, a few paragraphs from it. I think this is so good. What does it mean that Christ is a friend of sinners? At the very least, it means that he enjoys spending time with them. Do you believe that? That God enjoys spending time with you? believe that? You soak that in? It also means they feel welcome and comfortable around him. Notice the passing line that starts off a series of parables in Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. The very two groups of people whom Jesus is accused of befriending in Matthew 11 are those who can't stay away from him in Luke 15. They're at ease around him. They sense something different about him. Others hold hold them at arm's length, but Jesus offers the enticing intrigue of fresh hope. What he is really doing at bottom is pulling them into his heart. Here is the promise of the gospel and the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. This is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean, how attractive or revolting, how faithful or fickle we presently are. The friendliness of his heart for us subjectively is as fixed and stable as is the declaration of his justific- justification is of, of us objectively. What if you had a friend at the center of the bullseye of your relationship circle whom you knew would never raise his eyebrows at what you share with him. Whom you knew would or at what you share with him, even the worst parts of you. All our human friendships have a limit to what they can withstand. But what if there was a friend with no limit, no ceiling on what he would put up with and still want to be with you? Let me just read one more paragraph here. It says, consider the depiction of the risen Christ in Revelation 3, There he says to a group of Christians who are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what will Christ do? I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus wants to come in to you wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked you and enjoy meals together. Spend time with you, deepen the acquaintance. With a good friend, you don't need to constantly fill in all gaps of silence with words. You can just be warmly present together, quietly relishing each other's company. Now, we should not overly domesticate Jesus here. He's not just any friend. A few chapters earlier in Revelation, we see a depiction of Christ so overwhelming to John that he falls down immobilized. But neither should we dilute the humanness, the sheer relational desire Clearly present in these words from the mouth of the risen Christ himself. He isn't waiting for you to trigger his heart. He is already standing at the door, knocking, wanting to come into you. What's our job? Our job is to receive him and to feast with him. That is our job. Our job is to soak in his presence and his love, and his forgiveness, and his faithfulness. I I just want to end by reminding us that in order to be taught, in order to soak in these amazing things about who God is, who Jesus is, what he offers us, we have to slow down. The idea of waiting is mentioned multiple times here. When you wait, you're, you're forced to slow down and even stop. You cannot soak in something while you are on the move, while you are running. Listen to the very first line of this psalm. What does it say? To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. It's hard for me to take my soul and lift my soul up to God for him to just soak into me while I'm running from thing to thing. I need to slow down. I need to stop. I need to wait. I need to put practices into my life where I can just lift up my soul to him and say God Jesus I want to I soak in your presence and your faithfulness to me will we do that will we do that the promises are there for us the good news is there for us will you do that will you lift up your soul to him today Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us today to see the incredible promises we have here of your mercy that is so sufficient, so big, of your faithfulness, of your friendship. Father, help us to to see how awesome is your love. And as we recognize that, to, to stop and to lift up our soul, that, you might, that, that, that your love would soak into the depths of our hearts. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are able, please stand once again as we respond to singing about our God and his great and awesome love.